welcome back to Unjustly Podcast. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hello. So we have a very special episode for you today to showcase our true crime roots and love for Christmas. I think it's safe to say that both of our families love the holiday season. Mm-hmm. So today's episode is about murders that happened on Christmas Day. Steph and I have each chosen a story to share with you today so you can get your true crime fix right before the holidays. Steph, would you like to go first? Sure. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. So this story I heard somewhere, I thought I had heard it on My Favorite Murder, mm-hmm. but I spent like an hour trying to find the, <laughs> the episode and uh-huh. I couldn't find it. So now I'm thinking I actually watched like an episode on either um, like ID or Oxygen or something about the story. Okay. But all I remember was how crazy it all was and just it kind of hit home because it was like a hispanic family and Mm -hmm. it was during the holidays so like just the way they painted the picture um of kind of like that night reminded me a lot of what my christmas Mm. looked like you identified with it and so i identified a lot with it and so then seeing how that night unfolded and just how awful it turned out yeah just kind of like hit a little closer so i'm doing the covina massacre is what they're they're calling it um, and Covina is in California. California. I'm going to talk about that, oh. Sandy. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I got information for today's story from an article on the Oxygen website by Allie Vander Hayden from a website called I Can't Believe It's Not Fiction.com, an article on the LA Times by Hector Becerra and Tammy Abdallah, and then lastly, of course, Wikipedia. So it's December 24th, 2008 in Covina, California, a quiet, low-crime community about 22 miles east of L.A. 45-year-old Bruce Pardo found himself going through a rough patch. He was broke, he had been fired from his job, and had just gone through a divorce. And it was the second major failed relationship he had had. So it's his, like, first divorce, but he had had a really big like serious relationship that had ended as well. Mm-hmm. On Christmas Eve of 2008, he took drastic action. He put on a Santa suit and drove to the home of his former in-laws, Joseph and Alicia Ortega. The Ortegas were hosting about 25 members in their home. The adults were playing in the dining room, playing poker, while the children were in the back of the house playing video games and hanging out by the backyard pool. One of the grandchildren, 17-year-old Michael, was upstairs on the computer when chaos erupted. So I think just this whole scene, Mm -hmm. it's exactly what my Christmases look like. Like, the guys always end up playing poker on one table. (laughs) You know, the kids are playing loteria or whatever games, like, the the moms or the cousins have come up with. And so it's just kind of like all of this just reminded me so much of what all of my Christmases looked like growing up. And there was an eight-year-old granddaughter uh, who saw someone walking up to the driveway carrying presents. Um, As he got closer, he knocked on the door, and that's when she realized that it was Santa Claus, so she ran to let him in. When she opened the door, Bruce shot her in the face with a 9mm handgun, and she fell to the ground. He entered the Ortega home and began shooting at everything and anything. People were running around the house frantically, and many tried to hide under the dining room table. Several family members were able to recognize Bruce during the attack. He was the ex-husband of one of the Ortega's daughters, Sylvia. The divorce had just been finalized six days earlier on December 18th. Wow. So it was super fresh. The failure of Pardo's marriage could be attributed to many things, but the final straw seemed to be when Sylvia found out that Bruce had walked out on his first family. 
When Bruce was in his mid-30s, he fathered a child with his then-girlfriend, Elena Lucano. When their son was just over a year old, Elena left him with Bruce while she went on a quick trip to the grocery store, and it was during this trip that the toddler made his way outside and into the backyard pool. By the time Bruce found him, he was unresponsive. When Elena returned home, she found Bruce holding the unconscious boy in his arms. They raced him to the hospital, but despite receiving the best care possible, he suffered severe brain damage and would be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Oh, poor baby. Isn't that so sad? Yeah, it is. Shortly after this, Bruce settled financially with the mother of his child, but he walked away and never saw his son again. Bruce had never told Sylvia about his son, and Sylvia, having three children of her own from a previous relationship, had seen Bruce interact with her own children and could never imagine a man walking out on a disabled child. The lies and callousness of Bruce's actions were more than Sylvia could deal with. Bruce continued his Christmas Eve killing spree by firing at the Ortega's son, James, followed by his brother, Charles. The two attempted to stop Bruce even after they had been shot, but were unsuccessful. He then came across the group who had taken cover under the dining room table, which included 80-year-old Joseph and his 70-year-old wife, Alicia. He shot and killed them both. Bruce continued until he found his ex-wife, Sylvia, and her sister, Alicia, and he shot them and killed them both as well. The only Ortega sibling to escape the massacre was Leticia. She was the mother of the eight-year-old who had answered the door and been shot in the face, but thankfully, they both survived the attack. The little girl survived? Mm -hmm. Oh, good. So I read somewhere that it was that they think that the reason she survived is because she turned her head as she was being shot. So Mm. the bullet didn't enter her like straight on. Okay. It like grazed the side of her. It like grazed the side of her face. So they were able to save her. But Bruce wasn't done yet. He opened one of the gift. Okay. So this is the crazier part. So. As he's coming in, mm-hmm. he's actually holding, he wrapped his weapons oh my in gifts, in like gift boxes. So he opened one of the gift wrapped packages he'd brought with him and produced a homemade flamethrower. Can you in even the world? imagine? Yes. He doused the first floor of the house in racing fuel and set the house on fire, trapping Michael, the 17 year old, upstairs mm. and he, where he died. It took 80 firefighters and an hour and a half to control the blaze. In total, Bruce killed nine and injured three people. Jesus. He escaped the fire himself, but not without badly burning himself. In fact, he received second and third degree burns on his arms and the pants of his Santa suit had melted onto his skin. Oh, can you imagine? That's crazy. Do you know what his background is in? Like uh, work? Mm-hmm. So I'll get into a little bit. But okay. he was um, he was working in like IT. Despite all of this, Bruce was determined to flee the scene. He changed his clothes and peeled the pants off of his body with portions of the polyester sticking to his skin. Mm. He drove 30 miles to his brother's house, but by the time his brother had arrived later that evening, Bruce would be dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Bruce parked his car a block away from his brother's house, and when police found it, they discovered that he had rigged the car with explosives set to go off when someone removed the Santa suit from the vehicle. The bomb was safely detonated by police and no one else was injured. A toxicology report later revealed that Bruce had cocaine in his system on the day of the murders. Crazy. To give him some adrenaline? I to think get so. I think it done. was just to like be able to get through everything mm-hmm. he was planning. It's believed that Pardo intended to flee to Canada by plane as he had bought an airline ticket to a flight on Air Canada. But actually, later I read that the 
Air Canada ticket was actually a ticket that went from LA to Illinois. So it had been purchased okay. through Air Canada. So mm-hmm. they thought they were trying to, he was trying to flee there, but actually it was a ticket to get him to Illinois. And they discovered phone records that showed Pardo had called a high school friend days before to let him know that he was planning a visit. In Illinois. In Illinois. So okay. his friend, a high school friend lived in Illinois. He had seen him, I think, like earlier that year or at some point in like the last year. So it's just weird that he had planned this visit. Like he had already told him he was planning on going. So mm-hmm. like part of it seems to have been premeditated. Obviously, he had a freaking flamethrower. So it was right. premeditated. Absolutely. It's unsure whether he actually intended to go or if the flight was simply a, a way to fool investigators and also to create some sort of like story with the friend to come out and say like, oh, yeah, like he had planned on coming out. here. They weren't sure what he was doing. It was also later revealed that Pardo had planned to kill his own mother because of her sympathy towards Sylvia during the divorce proceedings. Oh, so he's angry, he angry, is mad he's at everyone. He's getting back at every single person that he in like the most awful, scary way. Oh, man. What a way to kill Christmas. No pun intended. (laughs) Okay. But part of the reason why they weren't sure whether he actually meant to, or like if his plan was actually to go to Illinois or just drive away somewhere Mm -hmm. is because they found $17,000 that were cling wrapped to his leg. So they weren't sure if like he was planning on driving somewhere in the rental car that he had Uh and then had bought the plane ticket to try and confuse people. Like they weren't sure what the plan was. But everything that he had planned seemed to kind of go down the drain and everything shifted because he was so badly burned Mm -hmm. that he wasn't able to go through with whatever his initial plan was. So things seemed to kind of just go crazy. And that's actually why they believe he ended up killing himself. Like, I don't think his plan was ever to commit suicide. I think the committing suicide was in part due to the fact that everything had gone wrong. Okay. He felt out of control at that point. Yeah. He Mm -hmm. felt like he was just going to get caught any minute. I'm surprised that he had such a fascination with the fire and the bombs. And I think he just wanted to cause as much damage chaos. and didn't realize that his suit was flammable. Oh. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like, I don't think that in like, I don't think it ever crossed his mind. Like, oh, my God, I have this giant suit on. I mm-hmm. could get I could catch on fire. Yeah. Pardo had four 13 round capacity handguns and at least 200 rounds of ammunition. Treating the car as a bomb threat, police fired an incendiary device into the vehicle and destroyed it. At Pardo's house, police recovered five empty boxes of semi-automatic handgun ammunition, two shotguns, and a container for high-octane fuel tank gasoline. Police described his home as a virtual bomb factory. Wow. Yeah. More than nine years later, Katrina, the eight-year-old who was shot in the face, joined a growing number of teenagers who have survived gun violence and are demanding change to weapon laws. She, along with many other students across California and the U.S., walked out of their schools for 17 minutes, each minute representing a victim of the 2018 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Katrina and her close friends created a video to help spread the word about the walkout at their school in Pasadena, telling peers that it's their duty to stand together as a generation to demand change. I've lived through it, and I'm still living my life as best I can. It's not stopping me. It's not instilling fear in me. I want that change, and I don't want other families to go through what me and my family went through. She underwent surgery to remove bullet fragments and close the wound in her cheek that she got before escaping. 
Her mother, Leticia, who also escaped the massacre with uh, her other daughter, has worked to make life as normal as possible for her girls and for her niece, whom she adopted after the girl's mother died in the attack. She has tried to teach the girls not to give power to their family's killer, to continue celebrating Christmas, to associate Santa with good things, and to honor their loved ones by living life with purpose. I know my family, my angels are here watching me, she says. They're seeing I'm finally going to make a difference and stand up for something that needs to be changed, and I'm fighting for them. So isn't that just like a crazy story? Like It is. There's obviously more, like, you can look for more details, but that's like the basic gist. I Mm -hmm. think it's really um, interesting, like, his life, Mm -hmm. Bruce Pardo's life, because there's so much going on in it that kind of led to this snapping right um and him he's obviously like an awful person but i don't know i just i think like the painting of that christmas night christmas eve dinner and like party with your family it just reminded me of like i said like how my christmases are and i can't begin to imagine what something like this would do Mm -hmm. to like my family Mm -hmm. to me like we are all together on these holidays right and like their whole family is Gone. annihilated gone in an instant mm-hmm. in a couple of minutes everyone is gone and there's just a couple people left behind mm-hmm. trying to put the pieces back together trying to live a normal life like that has to be so hard for the survivors it's so hard so i'm going to um put a clip of the 911 call there were m- multiple people who called 911 at the time that mm-hmm. pardo arrived at the residence because people heard the gunshots and heard what was going on um i'm believe it's Leticia, the one who survived, she was also able to call 911. And so mm-hmm. you, we can get a clip of of what that was just to see like how awful how and, chaotic. and how chaotic that moment was for them. So mm-hmm. we'll put it in here. If you don't like 911 calls, don't listen because it, they are hard to get through and it's really yeah. awful to, to listen to, but it would paint such a good picture for you to really see and feel what this moment was like for this family. All right, let's hear it. Um, yes, I'm on Northwest Avenue. Uh-huh. I'm a homicidal guide, and he's shot my little cousin right now. Okay, is there, can you tell if there's anybody injured? Because we have fire department and officers en route. Hello, hello. Hi. Who's coming immediately? Who's in your house? Immediately. Ma'am, is the guy in your house right now? We're having two houses down on the cookie section. Okay, okay. Ma'am, ma'am, hold on. Hold on. Is he at your house? What do you think his name is, Bruce? His name is Bruce Pardo. Okay, and who is he to you guys? Who is he to you? Who is he to you? He's my ex-brother-in-law. They're going through this right now. Okay. Hold on one second, okay? I don't know who else is alive. I know, I know, ma'am. Just stay on the phone with me, okay? My whole family, there's 30 people, 25 people. I know, I know. It's okay, the officers are there, they're trying to get to you guys, okay? He came in through the entrance of the door, and there's a Santa Claus suit, and I didn't see them when he shot. I heard the shots, and we, they were like poppers, and I wasn't sure what it was, so we all, everyone started panicking and running, so we all dove under the dining room. Some of us dove, some of us left. I don't know who, my mom's house is on the Ma'am, ma'am the fire department's there, okay? What's he wearing? Yeah, what is he wearing? Please. What is he wearing? Please tell me. My nephew, what is he wearing now? He changed his clothes from Santa Claus clothes. Okay, let me know what he's wearing. Black clothes. All he's black? on So that's the crazy story of the Covina massacre. Um, hug your loved ones a little tighter this Christmas. Yes, please. You never know what's going to happen. 
hopefully That's nothing scary <laughs> that was very ominous stuff mm-hmm. sorry take it back but hug your loved ones virtually <laughs> <laughs> all right so my story is slightly similar to yours they do have a lot of things in common um so the story i have today my husband actually chose for me i'm not sure if i've mentioned this before but he's from texas so of course he had to choose a texas murder Uh, This is a story of the Dallas Christmas Day Massacre. Mm. As a quick side note, I will be referring to people by their first names instead of their last names as I usually do because many family members have the same last name, which I feel like you probably came across on your story Mm. too. Um, So I got my sources from an article in 5NDC DFW, an article in ABC News by Alyssa Newcomb, an article in the Daily Mail Online, and an article in the Dallas Morning News. So in the late 1980s, Aziz Yazdanpana, who went by Bob, married Fatima Ramati, who went by Nazrin. Both were Iranian-born and were very well-known in the Iranian-American community. They had two children together, a daughter, Narjiz Yazdanpana, who went by Nona, and a son, Ali. Bob, Nazrin, Nona, and Ali all lived in the upscale neighborhood of Colleyville, Texas, which was a city in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Friends of the family said the family was very close-knit and the parents were very committed to their children. Many said Bob was very outgoing, friendly, and liked to tell jokes. Nazreen had a sister who Bob believed meddled in their relationship a lot and caused some problems. His sister-in-law, Nore Ramati, was married to Mohammed Hossein Zarai. So Bob told a friend that he and Mohammed would go on trips together, but would lie to their wives about what they were doing, and they were actually renting hotel rooms to bring prostitutes over. Whoa. Mm -hmm. One day, though, Mohammed apparently told his wife about only what Bob was doing on those trips, and it is now believed that this is where issues in Bob's marriage began. Not, I mean, obviously having prostitutes over in your room (laughs) technically started the marriage issues. (laughs) Nazreen told a coworker that Bob was not providing for the family, as was his Muslim responsibility. And in March 2011, Nazreen wanted a separation from Bob. So she took the children and moved out. She got an apartment in Grapevine, which was another city in the same county where she and Bob had lived. Nazreen planned on eventually filing for divorce. Bob then began going through troubles of his own. He had gotten involved in a few incidences where police were involved, although the articles did not want to give details about them. It was more like the police weren't giving details about them, so Mm -hmm. they didn't have it. He also ended up having financial troubles. The former real estate professional was out of work and had his house foreclosed on. Although his house foreclosed, he continued living in it, although it no longer had running water or electricity. However, he had nowhere else to go. Mm. So things are already unraveling, Mm -hmm. which we saw from your story. Mm Mm-hmm. Bob told a friend that his sister-in-law was continuously interfering with his marriage and had control over his wife who believed everything his sister told her about him. The final straw came on Christmas Eve when Bob's sister-in-law threw a party on her ranch and everyone was invited except for Bob. How dare she? Oh my God. A close friend of Bob said that they denied him of his pride. On Christmas morning, the family all went to Nazarene's home to open presents. 
In the home was Nazreen, who at the time was 55, her daughter Nona, who was 19, her son Ali, who was 14, Nazreen's sister and brother-in-law, Zoray and Mohammed, who were 58 and 59, and their own daughter, Sarah, who was 22. Sarah was a pre-med student at the University of Texas at Arlington. She was also in a sorority. She was very well-liked, very Hmm. popular. The family enjoyed their Christmas morning together, watching TV and opening presents. Around 11 a.m., Bob showed up dressed as Santa Claus. We got another Santa Claus, man. It's like we can't let them take Santa Claus from the kids. You know, we have to reclaim Santa Claus. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin Santa Claus. At 11.16 a.m., Sarah sent a text message to her boyfriend expressing her annoyance that her uncle Bob had showed up at the house dressed as Santa. Her last text read, Now he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year because he messed up before. Just a few minutes after that last text message was sent, a call to 911 was made. However, it seemed like there was silence on the other line. A later review of the recorded phone call brought up a faint noise, a raspy voice saying, help me, while sounding out of breath. The call was dropped 20 seconds later. Bob had showed up at the home with two handguns and systematically executed the entire family as he remained dressed as Santa Claus. All were shot in the head. And as many family annihilators do, Mm -hmm. Bob turned the gun on himself and died by suicide. Police arrived on the scene shortly after to do a welfare check given a call to 911 had been made. And that's when they discovered the seven bodies, which they now recall was the worst crime in Grapevine history. Christmas presents and wrapping paper lay next to all the bodies and the two guns were found near the Christmas tree. The room showed no sign of a struggle. However, some of the victims had defensive wounds as they tried to shield themselves from the bullets. Many of the family's friends were in shock that Bob could ever do something like Mm -hmm. this. They all believed him to be a friendly man who loved his family. He was known as Packing Heat Bob because he (laughs) bragged about keeping a gun to protect his daughters from boys. His children's friends, however, expressed a very different idea of Bob. Mm. Some stated that something never felt right about Bob, and others commented that they sensed something was wrong, although not to this extent. The massacre left the small community in mourning, as homicides weren't something they experienced often. Grapevine had recently been proclaimed by the state Senate as the Christmas capital of Texas. I know. For its abundance of annual holiday season events. So for this massacre to happen during the most celebrated holiday was salt to the wound. Their mayor, William Tate, said, This is obviously a terrible tragedy, but the fact that it happened on Christmas makes it even more tragic. Investigations led police to believe that this crime was premeditated, which I think is pretty obvious. Obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Bob was having a difficult time financially. He was upset about his pending divorce and enraged by his sister-in-law's efforts to end his marriage. And although Bob showed up wearing a Santa Claus costume, his intentions arriving at the home seemed to have been his murder-suicide plan. So that is the story of the Dallas Christmas Day Massacre. So it seems like there's a lot of similarities, right, in our cases. I don't understand the need for the the men to wear the Santa Claus. I know. Maybe it's just as a, like, like not to incite any kind of fear or, like... Oh, they show up like, hey, I'm jolly. It's okay. That or even as they're, like, getting from one place to another, like, not to scare anyone into thinking, I don't, I don't know. Like, just, like, a way to, like, cover maybe what they're doing. But it's funny because the people in Pardo's life Mm -hmm. were also, like... 
we had no idea he was such a nice guy. Right. Like, what's going on? It's like, mm. I think it's interesting that the kids in the story were mm-hmm. like, no, that's not the picture that we, you know, like, yeah. that's not how we We sent something from yeah. the beginning. It's crazy because there's so many. Like, when you came up with this idea to do, like, a Christmas murder, I was like, there mm-hmm. can't be that many. There are so many. I know. So Isn't that much. insane? Yeah. Maybe people just snapped or, like, snapped during the holidays or I don't know. But so I read mm-hmm. because... I had taken a class on suicide mm-hmm. and I had told Sandy that I thought that suicide rates went up during the holidays. Yeah. And so we were going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But in actually looking into it, I got it wrong. It actually goes up in early spring. So in um, April, May and April. Okay. But I, one of the things that I read just as I was like looking through the website was that men are more likely to commit suicide than women. And I just think that says a lot about the fragility of a man. Yes. The marriage is the failing. The marriage is Financially, they're... Instru- he couldn't save his son or whatever the case yeah. is. Like, all of these things are starting to pile up. Mm-hmm. It just becomes too much where they can't figure out how to deal with it. And I think right. as women, we're kind of... We deal with stuff like that so much more. It's more acceptable for women to show their emotions. And to deal with them and to talk about it and all Whereas of this thing. men, there's this whole notion of you have to be manly. Don't cry. Don't mm-hmm. do this. Don't have emotions. Like you have to be strong all the time when really that's not the case. That's just not the they, case. They should be allowed to show just as much as emotion as women are and to be able to seek the help that they need as well. And I think it, those things are changing. It goes back to the mental health. Yeah. And I think that we're, you know, getting to a better point and a better place as far as that goes because I do know that like we're seeking therapy is more People are seeking therapy more often mm-hmm. and acknowledging those like when you need help and when you need to ask for help and that it's right. okay to do so. So I just thought that that was interesting to read that because I feel like it correlates so well with men who like in these situations kind of get triggered and snap and feel the need to kill an entire family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense. So this holiday season, please stay safe <laughs> mm-hmm. and not just for murderers. <laughs> from the corona yeah stay safe during this pandemic uh we love all our listeners and we want you to stay healthy wear a mask if you are looking for cute masks to match your outfit or have seasonal prints you can visit my friend's etsy page shameless plug uh it's called mommy and tea and tea is spelled out t-e-a um i got some matching masks with my daughter and now we feel cute and it's Makes it makes her want to wear it more mm-hmm. when she's like matching mom mm-hmm. and check her page out if you want some mask. Um, also, we want to acknowledge some other holiday celebrations. Although Steph and I dedicated this episode to Christmas, we understand not everyone celebrates it. Yeah. And let me just clarify. Okay. Because I'm not a very religious person. So mm-hmm. for me, it's not necessarily about Christmas. It really is about the holiday spirit. So okay. I will be very open. <laughs> like I just love that this time of the year brings families together, brings yeah. friends together, that, you know, it's a time when about although, joy. although it's not about gifts, it's really nice to be able to like shower your loved ones with mm-hmm. with presents. And so to me, it, it really is just about that. Yeah. But of course, there's more than just Christmas. There's so many other holidays yeah. out there. So shout out to you guys if you celebrate any of these. Well, with that, apart from Merry Christmas, I want to say Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Winter Solstice. Mm. I learned about that one recently. Happy Diwali. Um, that Aww. already passed, mm-hmm. but still happiness to them. Yeah. And to our Hispanic friends, enjoy Las Posadas. Yeah. Tamales, pozole, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and Champurrado, even though I don't like it. You don't like champurrado? Uh-uh. I'm no, a hot made. chocolate kind of girl. Oh, girl, me too. <laughs> 
Um, but if I missed anyone's holiday, I apologize, but please have a happy and grateful one. So as an announcement, Steph and I will be taking two weeks off in order to just stay home with our families. So this will be our last episode for 2020. Yay. Yay. (laughs) But we will be back in 2021 with a brand new episode on January 13th. Mm -hmm. That one Steph is covering. Yep. It's a good one. So stay tuned for a new year and new episodes. But in the meantime, don't forget to use that time to catch up on all our past episodes if you haven't yet. And if you're feeling generous and want to give us a Christmas gift, you can simply leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to this podcast, give us a shout out on social media, follow us on social media under Unjustly Podcasts, and finally, tell a friend about us. But also sign all those petitions that we've yes, been posting. Please. All our change.org petitions on cases that we've been covering. You can look through our social media or any of the episodes. We mention all of the petitions on there. So let's give that holiday joy to all those people that are experiencing injustices and need your help. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for like gift ideas, because this is something I think I'm probably going to do. My sister-in-law has everything she could ever want, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's really hard to, it's really hard to shop for some people. Yes, it is. Um, so one thing that we did last year even was donating on behalf of a person. Mm -hmm. So like find an organization that might need some donations or find a cause that you're really into and donate on behalf of the person. And that Mm -hmm. could be their Christmas gift Mm because what better gift than giving on their behalf? I love that the people that I've gotten that for are very grateful for it. And I promise you people will love it. Yeah. Happy 2020. Happy 2020. Happy holidays. Have a good new year. Stay safe. And I hope you stay with us and join us again next year. And not that you should be going anywhere, but if you're driving around, please do not drink and drive because we do have a lot of drinking and driving accidents around the holidays. That's true. Please stay safe. Come back to us January 13th. Goodbye. Bye. Who also went by Nazarene. (laughs) That you were going to say. Who also went by Bob. Don't say also. Bob and Bob. (laughs) Wear a mask. Wear a mask. (laughs) Wear a mask. Wear a mask. In case you didn't get it, wear a mask. Welcome back to a unjust... Oh, I I switched it up on myself. Girlfriends. The divorce had just been... And his... And... Fuck. 911. What is your emergency? <laughs> Fuck, I hit this thing. Did you hear anything? Fuck. So, my fucking story is slightly fucking similar to your you stuff. Grapevine had recently been <laughs> bean. a bean.